Welcome to the Ray Harryhausen Podcast, the show dedicated to the life, career and films of a special effects titan. Join us as we host in-depth discussions about the work, influences and legacies of this uniquely talented filmmaker. Brought to you by the Ray and Diana Harryhausen Foundation, we will be delving into Ray's archive to bring a unique insight into his work, including exclusive audio from the man himself. We will be joined by special guests for retrospectives, exclusive announcements and competitions. So this podcast is a must-listen for all fans of the world of Ray Harryhausen, animation and classic filmmaking. And welcome to episode 36 of the Ray Harryhausen podcast and our third vodcast. So you can listen to us in the usual places on iTunes, on Spotify and on SoundCloud. And of course, you can watch us in the magic that is YouTube. And this is our third vodcast episode. So I do encourage you to have a, a watch of this because there's lots of visual treats coming up. Uh, this episode is going to focus on the poll we ran on Harryhausen, the lost movies, the scenes or films you'd most like to see made. And joining me as ever is the collections manager for the Ray and Diana Harryhausen Foundation, Mr. Connor Heaney. Connor, good afternoon. How are you? Good afternoon. Yes, I'm, I'm great. And it's been uh, a lot of lockdown fun, I guess, with this, with this Lost Movies poll. And it's been very interesting to, for the results to come in because I don't know about you, John, but with our top 10 Harryhausen creations last year, I felt that I could have a, a fairly educated guess about which creatures would be voted in the, in the top 10. Maybe not the, the, the final order, but which creatures would be people's favourites. Uh, with this poll, with the Lost Movies poll, I, I really had no idea what people were going to go for. And I have to say that the top 10 was a bit of a surprise to me in places too. Um, fascinating to see what resonates with people from your book, Harryhausen, The Lost Movies. Absolutely. There's a giant version behind me. Or have I been shrunk? Have I gone to Lilliput? Am I, am I Lilliputian? Um, interestingly, for this episode, um, rather than just hearing from us, we're speaking to the great and the good and great friends and family of the Ray and Diana Harryhausen Foundation, where they give us their top three. And uh, you've managed to collate, haven't you, Connor, different videos from, uh, from around the globe. Yes, that's right. We thought it would be interesting to um, get back in touch with some of the people who contributed to, to the research for your book, who provided quotes or information. And uh, it was great to, to hear their feedback and the, the diversity of opinions on the films from Ray's archive, which they'd love to have seen. And, uh, and yes, we're going to hear a, a variety of, of voices and thoughts throughout this episode. And as you say, a few visual treats as well from the various footage and artwork that exists for these projects. Now we're going to be counting down the, uh, the top 10 and we're going to tell you what didn't make it and what was just outside the top 10. We're giving away five copies of the books that will be signed by my good self. And they'll include the limited edition Comic-Con art card from 2019, which is ultra rare. And of course, a bookmark. And so you'll know, you'll know exactly what made it to the, the top, to the number one spots. And you'll also find out if you're one of the lucky recipients of a signed copy of the book. So we should really kick off maybe with our first contributor, Con, and then we'll go into the chart. What do you think? Yes, that sounds good. And uh, who better to start with than Ray's daughter, Vanessa Harryhausen. Vanessa obviously is uh, very close with uh, many of these projects and has 
a unique point of view in that she was around and she heard her father's thoughts on a lot of these projects which weren't made and even saw him uh, drawing some of the artwork for, for these lost movies. So let's uh, dive right into to hear Vanessa's thoughts on her favourite top three unmade projects. Hi everybody, uh, my name is Vanessa and I'm daughter of Ray Harryhausen and I wanted to put forward um, three of my favourite uh, lost movies sort of um, pictures that I, I like and one is People of the Mist and that is because I saw dad drawing these wonderful pictures and sketches in his office um, in uh, you know the younger days and uh, it was wonderful and it just made me want to see the film just from the sketches. The other one was Skin and Bones that dad always talked about. Um, he wanted Woody Allen to be um, the main guy in the Skin and Bones thing which I think would have been quite fun, a little comedy. Um, but sadly, you know, um, that didn't come through and last year we found some extra sketches um, that dad did, just rough sketches of the skeleton and stuff that um, in Skin and Bone. So that was fun. Um, and then lastly, because um, Dad and I were always interested in Atlantis, um, it's a pity that um, his, his um, sketches from Atlantis never, never really came into a film because I think that would have been um, really quite exciting and um, fun. But uh, there you go, there are my three favourites. So um, maybe one day these will come too. Okay, thank you. Bye. Fascinating because um, Vanessa's view is quite different to lots of other people's. You know, without giving too much away, other people mention lots of similar titles, but Vanessa's gone for three very specific ones. And I must say, three brilliant choices. I, I agree with all of those choices Vanessa's made. That's, that's superb. Now, um, just as an example, you, you set this poll up, Connor, and we're very grateful that you did all the hard work on this. And you ask people not only for the favourite unmade films, but unmade sequences as well. And uh, can you tell us which was the, the most beloved unmade sequence from a film that was made but had a scene altered? What number was that, Al, and, and which one was it? Yes, so there are scores of sequences which uh, we have artwork for or which Ray had, uh, had planned for which didn't make it into the final film. The most popular of all of these was uh, from... Um, you might have guessed the seventh voyage of Sinbad, and it was an alternate Cyclops scene that came in at number 17th in our, in our poll overall. And uh, that would have seen two Cyclops facing off against one another. You also would have seen a giant snake um, as part of that sequence too. So I, I suppose people really love the Cyclops from 1958 and uh, the opportunity to have two fighting against one another, uh, battling for Sinbad and his crew. Um, shortly after that barbecue sequence that, that, that is so memorable from the film. Um, it, this seems to have struck a chord with people amongst all of the uh, unrealized scenes. And Vanessa mentioned People of the Mist, that, that made it there, didn't it, with a 6% a, a um, swing, 6% uh, vote there from, from members of the public. So um, let's head in now to our, our next bit of video footage. And when we come back, we'll be talking about um, what made it just outside the top 10. So next up is, is uh, author and uh, all around good guy, Richard Hollis, who 
of course, for fans of fantasy cinema, they'll know his great work from books and magazines all over the years. I remember reading him in Starburst magazine when I was at school. And of course, he wrote for us Harry Housen, the movie posters, which hopefully all of you have got there. Now, Richard kicked off his top three with um, a man-eating plant from a film that was made, but from a sequence that was cut. Let's take a look. There's a scene in Mysterious Island that Ray had planned that was never seen. It ended up on the cutting room floor. He had made drawings for it. He'd even done a storyboard. It was all about a giant man-eating plant, a sort of huge Venus flytrap on the island that attacks the castaways. What a thrilling sequence that would have been. And just looking at those drawings, you realise just how vividly Ray would have brought that huge creature, that giant flower to life. One Million Years BC was made in 1966. I also saw that at the cinema. Again, I remember the thrill of watching the Ceratosaurus and the Triceratops having a battle. The Allosaurus attacking the camp. Archelon pulling its way across the beach to the sea. There's also a Brontosaurus in that film that walks along in the background. But Ray had also planned a sequence with that. There's a scene in the 1940 Hal Roach version called One Million BC, of which One Million Years BC is a remake, where a lizard attacks some cavemen. Now they use, they use live lizards, not stop motion creatures, but Ray was going to use his Brontosaurus model. He was going to bring it to life and have it attack these cavemen in their cave. If only we could have seen that sequence, it would have looked fabulous. Of course, there are again some wonderful storyboards and some wonderful sketches of the scene to give us some idea of exactly what Ray would have done with it. And there's also a very interesting production still from that particular sequence that was never made. So although it doesn't appear in the film, we do have that to look at as well. I suppose my favourite 1960s film of Ray's is First Men in the Moon, based on the novel by H.G. Wells. There's not a lot of dynamation in the film. Ray's proprietary process for bringing stop-motion creatures to life, it didn't gel very well with widescreen cinema, unfortunately. So he resorted mostly to blue screen and matte work. There's a little bit of stop-motion, um, probably with the moon calf in particular and some little tiny pieces with the selenites. But Ray loved H.G. Wells' work. And the one book of Wells that Ray had always wanted to make was The War of the Worlds. Again, a favourite novel of mine. 1953, George Powell brought out a version of that film, an Oscar-winning version. But Ray would have kept his book, or his concept of the book, very much more to the way it was, with tripod machines and the Martians looking very much how they described in the novel itself. Again, Ray produced some beautiful drawings of just how his War of the Worlds might have looked. He was going to set it in modern day, then 1950s, but even so, just looking at the concept art, looking at some of the storyboard ideas for the War of the Worlds, you realise just what he would have done with that story. He even did a short 16mm film showing a Martian emerging from its cylinder after the Martians first arrive on Earth. Of all the films of Ray's that he never had a chance to make, Certainly the War of the Worlds would have been the one I would have wanted to have seen. Of course, we only had 16 films in Ray's career to enjoy. 16 fabulous movies. I just wish in a way it had been 100. Somehow for this special centenary, it would have seemed most appropriate, don't you think? Great stuff. Richard even had all of those creatures out, which was good to see, Connor. It looks like they'd escaped from the foundation, but they're from Richard's private collection. They're lovely, aren't they? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I do love seeing people's uh, personal merchandise and, and things they've collected over the years. And again, it's, uh, it's lovely to hear Richard's choices. I think it gives you um, a good sense of his personal taste. And he, he has also chosen uh, an alternate scene, something from 1 million years BC, which I think we all would have loved to have seen um, an extended version of the Brontosaurus sequence. Um, you know, there's some fantastic artwork and storyboards for that. Now, what surprised me was that uh, Force of the Trojans, which was the sequel to Clash of the Titans, didn't make it into the top 10. In fact, it's at number, which number is it on the poll? It's got 6%. So it's in equal third billing with People of the Mist. 15th place overall 15. of the uh, some eight, you know, 80 or so choices that were there. Um, Force of the Trojans, what I suspect maybe has happened is the people who were interested in Force of the Trojans are also very interested in People of the Mist and those lost projects from the 1980s, which and it's, it's maybe split the vote slightly. Um, but yes, uh, I, I was also quite shocked by that. Force of the Trojans is probably one of the most uh, notable and, and kind of well-known lost movies. Next up is Ron Fogelman, who's a good friend of mine and a senior executive working in the world of film and television and now in theatre. So you, some of you may have seen his show in the West End, the official Twilight Zone on stage performance. Here comes Ron. My name is Ron Fogelman, Ray Harrahausen, The Lost Movies. So what are my top three choices of what could have been if only Ray had said yes to some of the amazing projects that never went ahead? All of my choices have something in common. The red planet itself, Mars. You might think me more of a Mars obsessive than Elon Musk, but think you'll understand why I've selected these three projects that were not to be. So first up is War of the Worlds. Just what would Ray have made of H.G. Wells' classic tale? Ray had the idea back in 1949, a few years before his pal, one George Powell, brought the project to the screen himself in 1953. Ray planned to relocate the action to the US, where a newspaper reporter and an astronomer would be caught up in the action. We would have seen a version of the tripods with actual legs, unlike the sweeping, majestic vehicles Powell realised on screen. In fact, Ray shot four minutes of 16mm colour test footage that saw a Martian creature emerge from a cylinder that had landed on Earth. There are also fantastic storyboards of a Martian creature attacking an isolated farmhouse. So what happened? Ray pitched the project to Paramount who held the rights. He even approached Orson Welles, so associated, so associated with the Welles story after the night that panicked America, when his radio interpretation shook the nation back in 1936. Nothing happened. It may have been a case of a great idea just too soon for the studio. He even pitched the project to George Powell, who would later claim the project for himself. Ray's own invasion task force from other worlds would be delivered in the impressive Earth vs. the Flying Saucer in 1946. Those sleek spinning saucers still impress today, and one wonders what Ray would have achieved if matched with H.G. Wells' masterwork. Still, his passion for Wells was finally realised in 1964 with his glorious take on First Men in the Moon. Next in at number two, well, Edgar Rice Burroughs is a literary master whose prolific work is often underrated by his own penchant for the odd sequel, or two, or three, or even twenty. The original Tarzan, as an example, is an incredible work. If you've never read it, then it's worth picking up. His highly imaginative novel captures in great detail the jungles of Africa and convincingly portrays ape civilization years before David Attenborough sat with the silverbacks. Ray is linked with one of the first attempts to bring Edgar Rice Burroughs' epic 11-novel Barsoom series to life, featuring his legendary hero, John Carter of Mars. This was something he considered in 1959, 
having already delivered the first of his epic Sinbad movies to the big screen in Dynamation. Ray and his producing partner Charles Schneer tried to option the rights, but found dealing with the Burroughs estate almost impossible, with terms and option fees more out of this world than the epic adventure they imagined for the film itself. It was not until 2012 that Disney brought Andrew Stanton's production to the screen, a movie which deserves revisiting and is better than the media's feeding frenzy on its poor box office suggests. And last, but certainly not least, in at number three, Mars features yet again, with Ray's next hopeful outing for Sinbad in Sinbad Goes to Mars. In 1978, after the success of Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger, Kenneth Kolb, the original screenwriter of Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, had been commissioned to write a screenplay that would take the hero on a journey beyond our world. Sinbad heads to Mars to rescue a princess taken from her home on Alexandria. There, Ray's beloved hero would encounter a planet overrun by giant moths and their most evil queen obsessed with immortality. Although Ray and Charles were never satisfied with the script, the project haunted Ray and in later interviews he would cite it as one of the main projects he wished that he'd most been able to make. Later consumed by his work on Clash of the Titans, there is no concept art from Ray himself, but there are some great pieces by Seamus Flannery and Chris Foss. Well, what might have been, I've just scratched the surface with only three of the many entries that appear in John Walsh's excellent volume dedicated to Harryhausen, The Lost Movies. It's a great book, and once you pick it up, you'll easily find yourself lost in the wonders of all that sits within it. Thank you. Great choices there, and two two of them were from Mars. So he chose John Carter of Mars, and Sinbad goes to Mars. These are all great choices. I'm like the worst person. I'm like asking a child in a sweet shop, what's your favourite? And my mouth falls out, I like them all. Because, um, you know, I'm the wrong person to ask. I think you're getting a good idea of people's uh, personal tastes as well. Um, obviously, Richard's, uh, Richard Hollis's choices kind of geared towards uh, the, the science fiction elements and, and uh, un, unused sequences from Ray's films. And, and Ron Fogelman here, he's gone for yeah space-based dramas and, and uh, Martian epics. And uh, we all would have loved to have seen Sinbad Goes to Mars. I think that would have been a, a fascinating prospect. Now, what most surprised me is the two that made it just outside the top 10. Um, so at number uh, 12 is uh, Baron Munchausen from 1950. So Ray was interested in doing this long before Terry Gilliam had created his 1980s version. Um, but there had been a German version, uh, I think, before then. So um, that's, it's great to see it's so high. Um, and it's great to think that the project's so beloved, Connor, because... Terry Gilliam's film was quite controversial for being very expensive and initially not well received, but it is well received now. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I've got this, uh, the artwork behind me here for Baron Munchausen, and I think it's very evocative. It's, a, I suppose, a rare case of Ray using oil painting um, to, to create this uh, concept art. And the test footage that we do have for Baron Munchausen with the, the moon man and the the the, uh, the dialogue which was supposed to be synced with the stop motion animation incredibly ambitious uh, mm. for for Ray to try that um, yeah that, that I'd say that would be in my top three uh, personally as uh, Baron Munchausen I, I would have loved to have seen how that may have panned out in the early nineteen fifties for Ray now I'm obviously very few of the um, ideas that didn't have artwork have made it into the uh, the final. Uh, top placings none have made it into the top 10 i think but so in, in a sense we are we are judging this from the artistic point of view we are judging it from our eyes and as you said rightly that's a beautiful piece of artwork so i'm wondering to what extent the artwork has influenced what people want to see they see beautiful art thing ah i think i'll have that one that whole thing about don't judge a book by its cover although that's a good cover 
um, you know, it's, um, it's tantalizing, isn't it? I'm sure psychologists would, would work through this chart and tell us um, and break down for us the, the motivations of people voting. Uh, but should we move on to our next, um, our next special guest, Connor? Yes, next up we have uh, Jonathan Webb, and, and as Jonathan explains in his video, he is uh, fairly biased towards one particular project because he's somebody that uh, worked with Ray in the 1990s. Uh, Jonathan is a, an animator and uh, he worked on some fantastic projects with Cosgrove Hall, um, including the Discworld animations and, and many more. And uh, yeah, you'll hear, you'll hear Jonathan's choices here. I'm Jonathan Webb and I've been asked by the Harryhausen Foundation to um, list my top three unfinished and unmade Harryhausen projects. It's a very, very difficult, very enjoyable uh, list to compile um, and I'm slightly biased because um, my number one um, project is one I was fortunate enough to work, work on as a designer and, uh, and sculptor. That project is Odysseus the Legend which, uh, which I was working on for Cosgrove Hall uh, when we were working with um, in conjunction with uh, Ray Harryhausen on that project and uh, a lot of that work, a lot of the designs are featured in the, uh, the John Walsh um, book um, recently published Harryhausen The Lost Movies so um, that's, that would be my number one, and I really wish that that, uh, that project had come to fruition. It was very, very exciting. exciting. Number two, um, I think, would be uh, Sinbad on Mars. And uh, the reason I think I'd, I'd choose that one is because a lot of the design work um, was done by Chris Foss. And um, Chris Foss is uh, one of my favourite science fiction um, illustrators and artists and he's worked on films um, from the um, there was an unmade version of Dune I think made in the or it was going to be made in the 60s and I think Chris Foss did a lot of very very interesting work on that I think he also worked on Alien and uh, most recently Guardians of the Galaxy so I think a project that would include um, Chris Foss's designs um, in conjunction with Harryhausen's creatures would have been really interesting and uh, I'd love to have seen that and um, project number three and this is sort of in no no particular order project number three um, I think would, would have been uh, Conan the Barbarian and this was obviously uh, some years before the uh, Schwarzenegger version I think it was about 1969-1970 and I think um, I think it would have been really, really interesting to see uh, the character Conan um, in, uh, in a Harryhausen movie. And one of my favourite artists is uh, Frank Rosetta, and I love all the work um, and the cover work that he, he produced over the years for Conan. And I think um, 1969 would have been very early, I think, for, uh, um, for Frazetta to be producing um, Conan artwork. I'm not sure if he was doing it at that time. But I think um, if, if he was, I think uh, that, that sort of artwork in conjunction with, uh, with Harryhausen's creatures would have been really interesting. I don't think any of the films have quite captured uh, the Frazetta style or the Frazetta look. 
but I know that Frizzetti was a big um, King Kong fan and, uh, and Harry Housen fan as well. And I would imagine that a combination of his sort of artwork and lighting and the sort of designs that he would have had in conjunction with maybe Harry Housen's, uh, Harry Housen's creatures would have been, uh, I'd love to have seen that. And, uh, and also I think it would have been interesting to see, uh, see an actor um, other than Schwarzenegger or other maybe than a, a bodybuilder turned actor to play that role. And I would love to have seen um, maybe Jack Palance. I think Jack Palance facially would have been, uh, would have been great to see playing um, Conan. He's not a bodybuilder, he's more sort of athletic uh, build. But I still think it would have been a really, really interesting piece of casting. I've no idea if there was ever any uh, any discussion about that. But uh, but for me, that would have been um, a dream piece of casting. See uh, Jack Plants playing a role like that. So anyway, that's my top three, and I'd be really interested to uh, to hear uh, other people's top threes and see what made it made it to the top. Anyway, thank you very much. That's great. Now, I think Jonathan, out of our special guests, was the only one to mention Conan the Barbarian. And, you know, when, when people of my generation think Conan, they think, of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the marvellous film from 1982 from Dino De Laurentiis and John Milliers. Um, and, of course, it was remade more recently. But, of course, it had a fabulous life in, in, uh, in pulp magazines, comic strips and so on. Um, are, are you a fan of Conan? Yes, I love Conan the Barbarian, um, the, the books and the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger film. But I think most uh, fans of Conan would, would point out that the Arnold Schwarzenegger version is, is very different from the contents of the original Howard um, short stories. And you get the feeling that Ray would have created something that was a lot more aligned to the, the character in his original form. I think if you, if you look back to Jason and the Argonauts, for example, and the casting that was made for the likes of Hercules, very different, not a bodybuilder, not a, not a muscle man. And I think Ray's version of Conan would have been a slightly more lithe character and, and the stories therein would have tied in far more to the, the original source. I think, though, all credit to Dino and John Milius for doing, and Oliver Stone, who wrote the screenplay, because they created something that um, the studio said couldn't be done, which is an R-rated or an X certificate, if we're thinking UK certifications from the time, an X certificate, big budget fantasy film, where um, your primary audience, which would be juvenile males, would be locked out because they wouldn't be allowed in to see it. So quite a big risk for a big studio to take, and it paid off handsomely, I think, for everyone everyone concerned. Um, let, let's uh, move on now. Mark Morstan is next and he's chosen three films with a similar theme. Hi, I'm Mark Morstan. I was friend and photographer Ray for the last decade or so of his life. We sat down on many occasions talking about lost projects. Uh, my sort of favourites that I'd love to have seen myself would have been, as everyone would have, at the end of Jason the Argonauts where they said there were further adventures for Jason we'd all love to have seen that. The other one that springs to mind that I discussed with them was the, uh, the amazing concept of Sinbad Goes to Mars. And I asked Ray, how on earth would Sinbad go to Mars? And he said it was uh, a pyramid with a beam of light which would transport Sinbad there, which basically forecasted Stargate many, many years later. So that's incredible. The other one that we discussed, which I'd love to have seen, was Ray's involvement in the original Think From Another World with Howard Hawks. 
He actually told me he'd approached Howard Hawks about making the monster for this. This is the poster for the film, in case just to remind you. Um, that was something I'd love to have seen because I thought James Arness as the Frankenstein monster was a little bit of a disappointment, but as Ray said in his dulcet tones, it was still a great movie, which it was. It's a classic. The main one, though, however, would have been this little beauty, which is Ray's version of The War of the Worlds. Now, this is a movie I think all Harahazen fans would love to see. We've had a tiny taste of it with the stop-motion tests that are discussed at length in The Lost Projects, but this is a film that I think would have ranked as one of Ray's best, and he talked about it with such passion, and uh, his friend George Powell obviously made it instead of him, but I think Ray's version would have been amazing because it would have been set at the time the novel was set and in England, and obviously the Martians would have been quite incredible. So this is the one I'd love to have seen, and Ray, knew how much I loved this film and kind of gave me this, his own print, which is the first one done from this series. And I've even got a little H.G. Wells uh, signed thing at the bottom of this. So this is something I treasure, but this is the one lost project I'd love to have seen. Thanks for your time and we'll see you again. So interesting, you, you touched on that earlier, uh, Connor, how people have chosen films in, in, in a kind of a genre of their preference. And of course you have Sinbad goes to Mars, think from another world and war of the worlds. You can imagine that as a marvellous late night triple bill, can you? Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, from, from what Mark was saying in his video there, as a photographer that worked with Ray, I always get the impression that when people were working with Ray, the, the subject of, of favourite movies and uh, just, you know, what, what to watch, I guess, seemed to come up quite often. And, and you get his personal anecdotes there about Ray's uh, taste in films and uh, the films he, he maybe could have made uh, and so it's, it's really great to, to hear about the you know once more the, the war of the worlds but the thing from another world that's one that's uh, unique to, to Mark there that's one that he'd like to have seen I suppose um, when we think of, of that film we think of the original and the remake um, some incredible special effects in the remake but of course the the original um, quite subtle effects for the for the invading creature so next up, we have a contribution from Greg Coulon. Now, Greg is a, a long-term fan of Ray Harryhausen and is somebody who met Ray on a number of occasions. But as well as this, he is a, a very knowledgeable collector and researcher with regards to uh, Ray's work and towards stop motion in general. Now, Greg is somebody that we're always delighted to meet with whenever we're in the USA, um, and he has helped us out with a number of projects over the years. He also has a very impressive collection of his own, which you'll see in this video, some excellent pieces. Greg is also somebody who assisted with the research for uh, the Lost Movies book and has helped the foundation with a number of our projects over the last three or four years. So thank you to Greg and... Uh, enjoy listening to his very interesting choices. Hi, I'm Greg Kulan, longtime Ray Harryhausen fan. I'd like to thank John and Connor at the Ray Harryhausen Foundation for giving me uh, an opportunity to uh, to talk about the Harryhausen lost films that I would have liked to have seen had uh, had they been able to come to fruition. And I'll start off with the, uh, the first one of my choices, which is a standout, which would have been The War of the Worlds. Um, the War of the Worlds is, is an amazing novel, and it, it may be the first or one of the very first novels I ever read on my own as a child. And uh, it continues to amaze me uh, today with its imagery. 
Uh, now, I don't want to disparage the George Pell version because I love that film, but I thought the George Pell film was not the novel in many ways. Uh, it did too much updating, uh, lived with scientists in the military, and, uh, and of course it, it didn't really show the aliens as they were described, or the alien machines, the, uh, the tripods. And uh, I had the privilege back in uh, 1993, I think it was, to uh, visit every here housing exhibit of his artwork and models. And the one thing that really stunned me when I first saw it was some of the artwork. Um, one of the Martian emerging from the, uh, the, uh, the pod, the, the ship, in front of some people. And, and then I saw right next to that some, several of Ray's storyboards of the a farmhouse scene where the people are there with the Martians uh, and an axe encountering these creatures. And, I, and as soon as I saw it, I said, that's the version of the film I wanted to see. Um, it looked exactly like it captured the, the feel of the Wells novel. And I realized that Ray's version was, was going to uh, update the plot and put it in the United States. And I, although I'd rather see it as a period piece, I can understand for practical reasons why you would have done that. Um, but, but I just wanted to see those tripods and I wanted to see those Martians as well as Invisible. And I thought Ray did a, a perfect, uh, perfect feel of, of capturing that. The second of Ray's projects that stands out for me that I'd really like to have seen was The Elementals. Again, this would have been about the same time period in the early 1950s. And if you've seen the, the artwork for the film, I mean, the scenarios are just wonderful. And it's, it's got a beautiful flying creature that um, seems to be so much beyond any of the designs that you would have seen for uh, any kind of flying monster at the time. And uh, and yet there's there's a lot of other things in the story that would have been... I, th I think amazing and when you see these things nesting in the Eiffel Tower, they're um, scientists finding their cocoons, um, trying to figure out what's going on here. It just seemed like it has a world of, po of possibilities from the visual perspective and uh, I think setting it, um, as Ray wanted to go to Paris, I think that setting it there would have would have really added something to the story with contrasting the beauties of that city with the uh, uh, what I think could have been some very nightmarish scenes of, of finding these creatures and uh, in their nests. And uh, I, I'd love to have seen that film made. The artwork just uh, just continues to amaze me today. So the third film that I had to uh, think long and hard about here um, was not an easy choice, but it would have been The Food of the Gods. And, and I'll give several reasons for that. Um, I really would love to have seen Ray Harryhausen and Willis O'Brien work together on another film. And another, um, not something like The Animal World, a, a staged scene, but uh, another full-out, fleshed uh, story. Because given what they had done together in their careers um, and, and the incredible imagery in Mighty Joe Young, I think uh, Food of the Gods could have been a real special project. It's a wonderful novel. It's actually kind of in multiple parts because you have the, uh, the giant animal scenes, uh, almost the potentially humorous scenes with the chickens, but the, I think Shotzak called it the horror scenes of the rats, and it, it could have been really exciting. I, I envision this scene that uh, they could have produced uh, dates back to the novel and was uh, in, the, in the story treatments that Shotzak and Ruth Rose were working that would have had a chase scene with the, uh, uh, the heroes are in, in a uh, carriage drawn by horses, and uh, being chased by rats that are several feet long, multiple rats, and they eventually um, grab onto the horses and pull them down, knock over the carriage, and it, it could have been both an exciting chase scene and a, kind of a horrifying scene uh, at the same time. 
Um, and I, I, I can imagine uh, how that would have looked in the film. I'd, I'd love to see what Ray and Obi would have, would have done with a scene like that. Now, let's um, get kicking into our top 10. Do you want to reveal the first two of the top 10 before we go to our next video, Connor? So, at number 10, we have The Valley of the Mist from 1950. And at number nine, The Abominable Snowman from 1946. What was your take on uh, these, these finalists? I was really surprised because I'm, I'm pleased that the older projects have made this in. Um, but my, um, my suggestion earlier that people were led by the artwork, of course, is quite wrong because we have some of the most gorgeous artwork, the force of the Trojans, we have some sculptures as well. And that's languishing back in the bottom of the, the top 20, like Buck's Fizz in the mid 80s. Um, so um, th th this, is, this is really surprising. You know, this is not the top 10 I was expecting. And I don't know if people listening and watching this have predicted any of these. But as you said, Connor, it was easier to predict Ray's creatures of all time because people have for a long time talked about those online. But this is the first time the unmade stuff's been talked about. And I was pleased and surprised. Um, but, um, but as I look down to, to number eight, which we'll reveal after this next clip, um, next up, uh, Mark Wolf, who's been a great friend to the foundation and has helped me enormously with this book, Harryhausen, The Lost Movies. And he, of course, was trying to make one of the films that Ray was trying to make. And Mark has also helped me with Flash Gordon, the official story of the film, which has been Rondo nominated. So. If it's not the end of April when you're watching this, do, do think of voting for me as best book of the year. Um, of course, Vanessa Harryhausen's book is in there too, so it might be a, a battle of the trustees. A bit like Rocky IV, but um, I fancy myself as Drago, but that never, I, that never uh, works I think I know way. who would win a fight, to be honest. <laughs> I do go. too. And as I say, if I'm already pitching myself as Drago, I mean, I'm going to look the part, but uh, of course I'm going to end up on the mat, on the floor. But um, let's take a listen to what Mark has to say. Well, hello everybody. This is Mark Wolf, and I want to first of all say thanks to the Foundation for giving me a chance to talk about one of my very favorite subjects, Ray Harryhausen. For those of you who are old timers who have been around a while, uh, you may have encountered some of my past writing about the uh, great animator himself. Uh, those of you who may not be familiar with some of the stuff, I should point out that I started many years ago with things like uh, Cinefantastique and some very early articles uh, talking about the men, the technicians, the artists, the craftspeople, and how they did things. And then I was very fortunate to get involved with what is now regarded as the legendary FXRH. Sam Calvin and Ernie Farino created it. I was just happy to be able to tag along and contribute what I could and when I could. And then I went on to some projects like this magazine Close Up and we did articles on Golden Voyage of Sinbad and other films that Ray and other animators had put together. More recently I've been doing articles for Fantastic 50s in the United Kingdom. I'm working with Hemlock Books. And as you can tell from this cover, there's a suspicious Redosaurus in this issue. So uh, 
over the years of admiring Ray's movies, never occurred to me that someday I would actually meet him. I did, and I spent a lot of time with him and Diana and Darlene O'Brien. And we often had time to chat. What would you like to make, Ray? What would you like to do? Well, one of the things that we discussed at length was he really thought he wanted to do a horror film. Couldn't find the right project. But in my imagination, I could see Ray creating a Frankenstein monster. I could see Ray doing a vampire human to a bat monster. I could see Ray's werewolf being agile and ferocious and unstoppable, a primal force of nature. Then on the other side of the scale, we talked about comedy. And Ray said they just, he and Charlie, just could not find the right property. They wanted to try and expand their horizons. They, they, they thought about it. They had discussed it. But Ray knew that it would take a lot of effort to, even though he was a wizard with, with timing and understood body language and, and, and certainly had a, an appreciation of Laurel and Hardy and, and, and Buster Keaton and all of the other cinema clowns, but Ray knew that to go from creatures to something comedic, what, what was it going to be? What was the bridge? We talked about something else, and it was War Eagles. It was a project that was near and dear to him. It was a project I thought had tremendous potential, and it was just not meant to be. Uh, I, I regret that we, we were never able to say to each other, I have the relationships with the studios, let's team up, let's go in, we'll make a pitch. Ray retired after Clash of the Titans, so there was just really no way to go forward with it. Now, those of you who have the book, which is essential. This was a dream come true for me. And those of you who have it know that I am going to say the one thing I most wanted to see Ray do was an adaptation of the Edgar Rice Burroughs Mars novels. John Carter of Mars has been done as a feature film and it was too little, too late. Ray Harryhausen, Jim Danforth, and Mark Wolf all tried at different times to make deals with the Burroughs people. And each of us had our own problems trying to work something out with them. I took in a, a rigid sculpture of the forearm Martian uh, Thark, Tars Tarkas. And Marion Burroughs, the, the widow of Edgar Rice Burroughs, looked at it and she was with her son, John Coleman Burroughs, who had been an illustrator doing the John Carter comic strip in the 1940s. And they said, this is the very best representation we've ever seen. 
we we really want you to do it mark we know you're going to do it right and uh, of course we'll, we're prepared to give you an option they wanted a half million dollars for a year option and at that stage of my career it might as well ask for 50 million dollars it was just not going to happen but i made a a, a 16 millimeter uh, short of uh, some footage uh, showing uh, the Thark and what possibly it might look like in stop motion. But Ray didn't get a chance to do that. Now, if he had, I suspect his armature would have looked something like this. Let me turn it. There we go. This is a um, full jointed ball and socket armature created for me by Tom Briarton. And he did an absolutely superb job with it. It has hinged toes, has a breathing device, a mechanical breathing device. Uh, and it is a work of art. And uh, those of you who are familiar with Ray's Cyclops, you will see the, the shoulder up here. It's very similar to what Ray designed for his Cyclops. So uh, there you have my, my few cents about the uh, projects I wish I'd seen Ray bring to the screen. And I must say, I really wish I'd had a chance to, to work with him on something like that. So uh, thanks again to the Foundation, and everybody stay safe. There we go. So Mark Wolf, he's great because he also fills in a gap, doesn't he, Connor, in, in Ray's working life and working lineage, because both men were involved in, in a film that they both tried to, to get made, John Carter of Mars. Yes, I think uh, Mark Wolf is uh, describing maybe some of the logistical problems behind these lost movies, whereas a lot of us are, are daydreaming, well, why, why couldn't all of these films be made? Look at all this wonderful artwork. Wouldn't it be great if there were 20 more Ray Harryhausen films? I suppose Mark Wolf has given us a glimpse behind the scenes and into the the machinery of, of how a project gets off the ground and, and how you get a film onto the big screen. And I suppose for each of Ray's films, the, all of these hurdles had to be overcome, which makes it incredible to, to think that he did make these 15 movies um, because making a film is, is, is a difficult job, I guess. No, it is. It is, absolutely. And now, so back to our charts and Sinbad Goes to Mars makes it to number eight. So that would have been right on the heels of Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger. So had Clash of the Titans not been made, Sinbad Goes to Mars would have been up next. And of everything in the book, it's the one that's the most surprising because, of course, the beautiful colour artwork was not provided by Ray Harryhausen, was it, Connor? No, that's right. And the, the artwork in the book is, is an incredible sight, but it was actually made by Chris Foss, the artist who is... Uh, always been responsible for, for some fantastic illustrations over the years, but as you mentioned, not a, not a Ray Harryhausen artwork. And I have to say that when it came to our poll, uh, Simbad Goes to Mars was the most controversial in terms of our social media content. Some people saying they would have loved to have seen it, others saying they're, they're very glad that it didn't see the light of day. I guess it's a bit like Boobo the Owl. Whenever we post a picture of Boobo, there's lots of debate amongst uh, Ray's fans. And, there's and no debate here. I'll have them. <laughs> well, this, proved here, to be, this proved to be the, uh, the one where obviously enough people love the idea to vote it into our top 10, but uh, it was interesting to see the, 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 um, the arguments that broke out about whether. 
people would have liked to have seen Ray take his mythological hero Simbad and, and transport him to another planet. Well, the thing is, for people who know the storyline quite well, and we've, we have all the paperwork here, we have the full treatment. A few years later, Roland Emmerich's Stargates that was made uh, with uh, Studio Canal um, impressively retreaded some of the steps of what would have been Sinbad on Mars very successfully. So I think rather than it seeming like an outrageous clash of genres, I think it would have worked beautifully well. Um, but of course, my opinion is massively biased. Now, number seven, before we kick into our next contributor, Rossum's Universal Robots from 1945. Lovely artwork, Connor. Yes, the, the artwork here is great. And uh, you have to look at the timing there, 1945. So Ray, once more, sort of ahead of the game with his ideas there. It's, it's uh, Rossum's Universal Robots, uh, based on a novel by Carol Capek. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, but uh, it's about uh, robots which are sort of discarded by humanity and, and learn to become sentient and think for themselves and eventually overcome the human race. Sounds a lot like Terminator or something, but of course we're looking here at the, uh, you know, the, the mid 20th century, 1945. And um, I, I guess that, that, well, that would have been fairly incredible to see in, in the post-war period. Of course, by the 1950s, there were uh, robots everywhere. And that's, I think, partially the reason that Ray decided not to follow up on this incredible concept art. But uh, but yes, I, I have to say a project I, I wasn't necessarily expecting to see in the top 10, but it's nice to see that it's captured people's imaginations. Absolutely. Now, should we kick into our next contributor? Graham Humphreys. Uh, now, Graham Humphreys is a, a, an artist, uh, creates a lot of poster art and uh, Blu-ray cover artwork that you will definitely have seen if you're a fan of of, I guess any genre entertainment releases, you will have seen Graham's artwork over, over the years. And Graham was far too modest to mention this in his video, but he created something very special for the Lost Movies book, John. Yes, he did. Um, he created uh, artwork, fully finished artwork for War of the Worlds, which we're enormously grateful for because um, Ray created test footage and of course he did some production art, but he didn't do a, a full color poster. Why would you? The film wasn't finished. So Graham, um, did a spectacular job and created exclusively for Harry House and the Lost Movies the uh, War of the Worlds artwork. So should we, should we find out if War of the Worlds is in his top three, Connor? Hi there, this is Graham Humphreys. Um, I'm a freelance illustrator and uh, like many people of my generation, uh, very influenced by Ray Harryhausen's work. And I remember going to the cinema to see um, uh, Jason and the Ar Argonauts and that was you know very much sort of uh, uh, one of those things which really kind of shifted my perception of cinema and um, made me kind of interested in um, probably some of the darker things that uh, since kind of d defined my work. Uh, I work mostly in the horror industry and um, those skeletons in Jason and Argonauts just were, were seared into my brain and, and they're always there in the background and I used to have nightmares about them um, but however I got rid of my nightmares by actually painting them as much as possible so I'm still painting skeletons today and, and it, it, I'm keeping it at bay um, but anyway the fantastic book which is um, very much about the project which never really happened um, I've got a copy here and I've been searching through it and because there's so much in there um, you kind of just wish had been made and I wanted to see on a big screen uh, with Ray's fantastic magical touch. Um, but um, just quickly going through um, a couple of them, I've actually got a little friend here which would uh, uh, lead me on to um, one of the first ones, which is King Kong versus Frankenstein, 
which um, I know had a kind of a Japanese um, version that was made, but uh, it's fascinating reading about um, Ray's take on this. And, um, you know, going back to King Kong, of course, would have been um, such a joy for him as well. Um, and, you know, just adding in there the Frankenstein element. Um, I mean, for, you know, a horror fan, you know, who doesn't want to see King Kong and Frankenstein uh, together? So that was my first um, real um, kind of joy in the book. There's another one which um, appealed to me, and it's going back to those skeletons again, funnily enough, uh, which is Skin and Bones. Um, it has this amazing illustration, which is a skeleton sitting up in bed, terrifying um, the lady there who's kind of pulling up the sheets. And um, the, the premise being that uh, it, it's, I believe, a, a photographer who uh, becomes invisible, but um, his skeleton remains, strangely. And um, it's just one of those films you kind of just wish had been made. I, I want to see a skeleton walking around and terrifying people. Or actually, this random uh, idea that he, he would just suddenly become invisible without meaning to, and to, just the skeleton remains. Um, so that's, that's a, a sad loss to the world, I think, though, and to the world of skeletons. And um, the other film which kind of fascinated me was um, People of the Mist. Um, I mean, I'm, it's a Ryder Haggard story, and, um, you know, I was a big fan of She, and, um, you know, always wondered if, if there should be some sort of other version of She, because it never quite, the Hammer version never quite fulfilled the expectation of the original novel. There were so many visual elements there which uh, really could have um, um, benefited from probably a lot of CGI, which I'm, you know, disgusted to say, but actually that probably would be the case. People of the Mist was interesting because um, I just love, I just love this bizarre premise that um, you've got, you know, dinosaurs, um, this kind of lost, you know, lost continent, I guess, though. And then bizarrely you get um, aliens controlling evolution. You know, where do the aliens come from suddenly, though? So just a whole mix of dinosaurs and aliens. Uh, and, and, you know, some of the beautiful drawings which kind of give you this very um, sort of colonial-centric view of the world, you know, kind of natives and, you know, exotic locations. It's uh, one of those weird things which is very much um, the stuff of Victoriana in many ways. And, um, you know, the, the Victorians gave us so many great images and designs and um, inspirations for uh, um, film. Uh, and and you know, this is one of those films, again, which, you know, is sadly lacking in, in Harryhausen's canon. Um, but, you know, I, I would hope that at some point these projects will see some sort of um, light of day. You know, I mean, this is like a wealth of material which uh, was never made. And when you look at a lot of contemporary cinema now, you kind of realise that, um, uh, you know, there's a, there's a sort of a, a lack of uh, great ideas, and, and this book is just packed full of them. So I am hoping, fingers crossed, that um, Skin and Bones, People of the Mist, King Kong versus Frankenstein will see uh, see the light of day in a, in a, a, well, for a new generation. So marvellous choices there from Graham Humphreys. And for those of you who know his work, then you probably have his wonderful book, Hung, Drawn and Executed, The Horror Arts of Graham Humphreys. And you can see all of his wonderful work in that. Of course, I remember seeing his iconic Evil Dead poster, which a lot of people think was the original one first done for the first cinema release in America. It was everywhere. It's really spooky. Check it out. Um, what's up next, Connor, in the charts? 
So next on our list, as we count down the top 10, going back to another older project, and it's uh, War Eagles from 1939. Now this is another uh, Willis O'Brien project, and um, I guess it's something that's quite important to Ray and his personal history as a filmmaker, because War Eagles was the project that uh, Willis O'Brien was working upon when Ray first met him. So when Ray, as a teenager, introduced himself to Willis O'Brien and took his models to show and, and looked for some advice as a stop-motion animator. He, he described the scene as uh, Willis O'Brien in the MGM offices with wall-to-wall -wall artwork for War Eagles, which uh, had been promised as being three times the size of King Kong, just this incredible stop-motion extravaganza of special effects. Absolutely. I mean, that's a, that's a really good choice. I was hoping to see that in the top 10, and it's, it's clearly there. What I wasn't expecting to see in the top 10 um, which is at number five, is the uh, the Jupiterium from 1937. I mean, one of the very earliest things Ray did, and the artwork for it is absolutely incredible. It's very Flash Gordon, in fact. Um, were you surprised to see 1937 as the Jupiterium there? Well, I get, again, I suspect this is because the artwork is so good. I think the Jupiterium, I'm always impressed when I see that drawing because... Ray drew that when he was 17 and you just get this uh, this feeling of a, a young creative man just letting his imagination run wild a little. Um, he later said that the the Jupiterian, mods, uh, the Jupiterian creature maybe was, was impractical, the dimensions weren't right for a believable stop-motion creation, but, but nevertheless uh, a very striking image and I suppose it's something that people have, have seen and you know, they would have loved to have known whether we could have developed it further. But an, an important early experiment is supposed testing the limits of, of the design process and of concept art. Now, I would have expected to have seen the elementals in there before the Jupiterian. Shows what I know. Um, now, our, uh, our penultimate contributor is Mike Hankin. Mike, of course, is an author, great friend of the Foundation, an all-round oracle when it comes to... Um, questions about the world of Ray Harryhausen. So with, with my book and with Vanessa's book and probably with Richard Hollis's movie poster book, um, Mike is the person you go to. So if you think of the Oracle in The Golden Voyage of Sinbad, um, which was played by Robert Shaw, wasn't it? Uncredited Robert Shaw. I think in, an, in, nice, in a nice way, I think of Mike Hankin as that Oracle. So if, if I was Sinbad, I wouldn't be because I, I could never imagine all that traveling. I'd be, oh, I'd be moaning and groaning. Are we nearly there yet? Oh, I don't like being on a boat. I'll be like that all the way through. But in the event I did make it through all the way to that, um, that crypt, Mike Hankin, I imagine, would be there giving us all the information we need. Do you think, Connor? Yes, Mike is the person we turn to and uh, we've exhausted, you know, when we can't find the answer to something, he usually can, can summon that information fairly quickly. And it's great to have somebody that's so invested in race lifetime and, his, and uh, all of these different projects. So he's somebody I think it was fascinating to turn to and discuss the lost movies. It's been difficult trying to think of um, these sequences that Ray could have made. Um, I know chats that I had with him, um, I expressed that I had a favourite film, which was the 1959 Journey Centre of the Earth. And I wished that he would have been around and he had done the, the prehistoric creatures in that film. But um, I'm sure the people at 20th Century Fox would have uh, frowned upon him coming in doing that. But uh, uh, I'm glad to say he did make a Jules Verne film and 
it was also the first film of Ray's I saw, which was Mysterious Island. And um, one of the sequences that I wish he had made is The Man-Eating Plant. So that is my first choice, really. Um, Ray always amazed me how he could manipulate many heads and it would be many tentacles or tendrils as the plant would be um, and I'm sure that would have been a fantastic sequence. I know that they said it was too similar to the, the octopus type creature at the end but I still think they should have made space even if um, the character of the green man that was supposed to have been involved um, would have been discarded. Uh, I'm sure they could have got around it but um, that is what I would have chosen. Um, the second was in the following film, Jason and the Argonauts. Um, I do wish they'd included the trip to Hades. I think um, the whole thing of inside the cave and meeting the, the two-headed dog, which I know they had modelled and so it had been made by um, uh, oh, Arthur Hayward. Um, but Arthur Hayward had actually made the, uh, the dog. Um, and I do think that had been a very good, eerie sequence. Um, what else? Ah, the one that I think a lot of fans had wished had happened was King Kong. Now, Ray loved that film to bits. Obviously, it got his career on the go. Um, whether or not ha Hammer would have had enough money to do it justice is something else. Um, I think it wouldn't have been the film that Ray would have wished if he had actually been involved. Um, if it had the finances of Peter Jackson, or, you know, I won't even mention the other King Kong, um, then maybe it, it would have been just amazing to see Ray's own take on King Kong. I think that would have been amazing and also probably a fulfilled an ambition because he was always mentioning that's if anyone did it he would want to do it um it didn't happen but uh we can just dream my other choice would have been uh, the elementals um the whole idea of these creatures in paris paris has never really been used as a, a, a good monster location, I don't think. And I can just imagine these creatures hanging from the Eiffel Tower and, you know, picking people off. And also they came from uh, deep in caves and that would have been a, a great sort of um, thing for Ray to work on. I mean, everyone, I think, would have seen his uh, um, experimental footage of himself being picked up by one of these creatures. So I know it could have worked. And uh, I, I'm a little bit surprised it didn't take off when it did, you know, after um, Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. But um, uh, I certainly think it could have been a very, very, very good um, and unusual project for him as well, out of, out of the ordinary. now to hear from from Mike Hankin of course he chose the man-eating plant which has been chosen before and uh, his mentions of King Kong are great I mean Ray 
did consider trying to do, didn't he, Connor? Something with Kong at different times. They tried to get the options for Kong and it never happened. Of course, Dino De Laurentiis made his spectacular 1976 King Kong. So um, it's, Kong always has a cast a shadow, doesn't it, over all of Ray's work? Yes, I mean, Ray, Ray saw King Kong, saw the original King Kong, I should say, so many hundred times throughout, throughout his life. And uh, I, I get the, I think from what Mike says there as well, um, Ray was starting to believe that if anyone was going to do it, he felt he could he could do a, uh, do it justice and create a, a tribute to his favourite movie. Uh, sadly, that didn't come about. But but uh, yes, King Kong is everywhere in our archive. There are so many books and drawings and uh, pieces of memorabilia relating to King Kong. It was a, a lifelong piece of inspiration to read. Now, Connor, would you like to introduce what hit number four and number three in our all-time charts of lost movies? Yes, at number four was uh, Conan the Barbarian. And at number three, we have Atlantis from 1940. Now, we've spoken about uh, Conan the Barbarian, but there does seem to be, uh, I, I suppose, something in the idea of a Ray Harryhausen take on Conan the Barbarian, which really appeals to people. The Fate of Atlantis is another very early project, and I, I guess it's one that uh, people would love to see Ray's take on that mythological tale. Absolutely. And, uh, and just as a point of note, I mean, Mike Hankin would know this, but uh, for people who don't, there is a, a link between uh, the 1982 Conan of the Barbarian and, and Ray Harryhausen. It's, of course, the wonderful Colin Arthur. Colin, who did lots of practical and large piece models in Ray's films. He created, the, I think, the Vizier's Mask for Golden Voyages Sinbad, amongst many other makeups. He created the Lord of the Marsh, Calabos, for the face makeups for Neil McCarthy in Clash of the Titans. And he created a very large kraken that was sunk in Malta for sequences underwater. Um, so, so Colin's a good guy. He created the giant snake for Conan the Barbarian, which, which I think is superb. Um, it's, it's easy to, to, to look back at special effects with today's eye and suggest they could have been different. I think it works really well. There's, there's a weight and a size to that snake and it, and it moves quite slowly. It's really quite menacing. Do you think so, Conan? Yes, I mean, as I say, I, I love uh, the Conan, the, the 1980s Conan the Barbarian. And uh, I, I, that snake sequence is one that I remember from seeing it the first time. I think there's something about that entire film, uh, much like many of Ray's films, which seems very otherworldly. And you feel like you're almost watching a, a relic from, a, from, a, mm. from an alternate history. And uh, that, that, the, the special effects on that snake were something that stood out. And it's obviously a, a theme of that movie. So a fantastic job. Uh, and I know, I think the Colin worked on a couple of the follow-ups to, to Conan the Barbarian with uh, Conan the Destroyer and Red Sonja and was responsible for some of the creatures and, and those films as well. He was indeed. Now before this episode finishes we've got one more contribution from someone and then we're going to be giving away five copies of Harry House and the Lost Movies signed by my good self and with an art card and a bookmark. So if you've entered the competition online you've entered the poll then stay tuned because you might be finding out if you're a winner. Um, so our very last contributor is writer, author and film critic Marshall Julius, who's, um, who's not coming to us from a fabulous emporium. This is his own private collection that he has stood in front of. Marshall Julius, take it away. What three Ray Harryhausen films or sequences would I have loved to have seen? Um, all of them? 
reading John Walsh's excellent Harryhausen and the Lost Movies book, I was shocked to discover just how many projects Ray didn't get to do. So many epic sequences cut from films we know and love. So many films that never made it past Ray's drawing board. If I'd had a movie studio back then, I'd have given Ray all the money he needed to make everything he ever wanted. Uh, I'd have had to clone him as well, I guess, as even with all the money in the world, one lifetime wouldn't have been enough to get everything done. At least we have John's book, so all those wonderful ideas and all that glorious concept art is available to us to at least try to imagine how wonderful it would have been to live in a world with three, four, five times as many Ray Harryhausen films. Since I've been tasked with selecting just three films or sequences, I appreciate I have to be more specific than saying um, all of them. Um, so my three choices in no particular order are, well, in Ray's hands, The War of the Worlds would have been epic and eerie and terrifying and just, you know, perfect in every way. Um, Ray had the idea to do it in 1949, long before his friend George Powell produced the 1953 version, which, though it won an Oscar for its dazzling effects, I think would have been so much better with stop-motion tripods instead of spaceships hanging from strings. Um, Ray even went so far as to produce test footage of a Martian emerging from a tripod and that unnerving footage is almost too tantalizing a taste of what might have been. As there's no skeleton like a Harryhausen skeleton, my second choice is Skin and Bones, an amusing romp that Ray pitched in 1962. Based on Thorne Smith's 1936 novel, it tells the peculiar tale of a photographer who, while messing around with various chemicals, becomes sort of invisible. Everything disappears except for his skeleton. So there's an alternate universe somewhere where Ray got to make a contemporary comedy with a beautifully animated skeleton getting up to all sorts of mischief and I wish I lived in that reality. For my final choice, I'm going to pick a sequence rather than a movie just to mix things up. I would have loved to see the man-eater sequence Ray dreamed up for 1961's Mysterious Island. In it, the islanders were to be menaced by a giant Venus flytrap-style plant, perhaps, perhaps inspired by Roger Corman's ultra-low-budget, cult-quickie little shop of horrors. Ray's Mean Green Mother would have been something else though. Exotic, scary, enormous, quite unlike anything else he'd done. Ray dropped the idea, but it stayed with him, and the Venus flytrap later surfaced in Sinbad Goes to Mars, an unmade project Ray kicked about in 1978, and then again in 1982 for the equally unrealized People of the Mist. Sadly, Ray never got round to his giant Venus flytrap monster, but them's the breaks, you know. Ultimately, I'm grateful for everything Ray was able to realise. Wow, that just looks like if, if Willy Wonka had uh, given up the, the chocolate factory for a toy factory, Connor, that's what it would look like. Yes, but I always love seeing videos and I noticed that he took, uh, he took his videos from a few different angles just to give us a glimpse into that incredible collection. Um, what a fantastic job. I hope he has an archivist of his own to, to work through all of this material that he owns. And don't, give him any, don't give him any ideas. If he's, he's already said like this, he's like, oh, John, I need an archivist. That's what he'd yeah, be telling me. You could catalogue his collection, you could index it. It would be, it'd be, it'd be a fascinating job. But that, that's, a, that's a great set of choices as well from Marshall. And um, 
Uh, and yes, I think he's made he's made three three choices which other people have made. But I suppose he sums up what people um, what what strikes people's imaginations about these unmade projects and the and the artwork for all three as as well are fantastic. Now I'm going to reveal the last two films and then we're going to go into our competition winners now the last two are surprising because um uh well the number one film isn't surprising but number two is this really surprised me as i say i would have i would have lost a lot of money if i was a betting man and if i'd voted on this poll with money um dante's inferno made its 1941 which great i mean it's something that ray always wanted to do but as he said himself in my documentary he felt he couldn't and we'll have a let's listen to what ray harry has had to say about that some time ago, I wanted to uh, um, uh, make a, a film about Dante's Inferno because of Gord, D Gustave Doré's uh, marvelous drawings. But uh, in thinking it over, I wonder very seriously how many people can sit through an hour and a half of the vicissitudes of tormented souls. There you go. Always better to hear it from the man himself. And for that reason, he didn't make it. So maybe had he seen this poll and if he was able to share this with studio execs, they might have decided otherwise. Now, at number one, as many of you may have guessed, because so many um, of our special guest contributors chose this as well. It is, of course, 1949's War of the Worlds. So great to see that uh, on top, Connor. Yes, War of the Worlds is, I think, the project for which we have the most material of all of the lost movies. We have some incredible concept art with test footage. We even have two models from War of the Worlds in our archive, which have remained. And I think that more than anything may have influenced people to, to vote for that as the, the film they wish they could have seen. In an alternate universe, um, it may have been Ray Harryhausen's first solo project. And who knows what, what would have happened after then? I'm sure it would have been a huge success, but uh, the, the resulting movies that, that, that Ray created may have been very different had that been his first hit and his first solo movie. I think people needed to hit as broad an audience as possible. So um, one would have hoped that an audience would have been found for that project, but we don't know. So now we've come to the competition time. We almost need a, a little drum roll here. Should we hear a drum roll? There we go. Wow, how fabulous. Sounds like Phil Collins on the drums. Now, um, I'll give the, uh, the first two away. Connor, you can do the last three, is that okay? Yes, that's good. So the first winner, congratulations to Brian Serper. So you're gonna be getting a copy of this book behind me, not shown to scale. It's actually around about this kind of size, still pretty big. And well done, Michael Brown. So they're our first two competition winners. Uh, Connor, who are the other three? And uh, yes, congratulations to John Larkin, to Roger Robinson, and to Chiara Pizzarotti. Uh, congratulations to you all. Um, your book is in the mail or will be in the mail soon after John signed it. And uh, thank you all for taking part in our poll. You have been the lucky winners amongst the, the thousands of votes that were cast. Now, Connor, what's the update? Because we're being asked a lot online, aren't we? What's happening with the exhibition? When can we go along to see it? So before we finish off, what, what can we tell folks? Yes, yeah, so the Ray Harryhausen Titan of Cinema exhibition in Edinburgh will be reopening this month on April the 26th. 
uh, as with so many things just now, it's a phased reopening. So I imagine to begin with, it will only be people in the immediate vicinity of, of uh, Edinburgh that will be able to visit, but that will broaden out over time. And we certainly hope that people from elsewhere will be able to travel to Edinburgh and enjoy this, this incredible, massive exhibition that has been put on. Now, the good news is it's been extended. It's now running until the end of February 2022. So there's the best part of 10 months left uh, for, for the world to open up again and, and for people to be able to, to travel and, and take part in cultural events and, and come and, and bask within uh, Ray's fantastic creations and artwork. If you're still unable to travel, there's also a parallel virtual exhibition available online to anybody in the world at any time. If you go to the National Gallery's website and that gives you a virtual glimpse into the exhibition and the contents of the exhibition alongside some uh, exclusive AR material and uh, interviews, uh, brand new interviews and, and clips and films that have been put together specifically for this virtual experience featuring the likes of uh, Randy Cook, uh, Vanessa Harryhausen, Caroline Monroe, uh, John Walsh is in there too somewhere, and, um, Mark, Mark Caballero and Seamus Walsh from Screen Novelties who of course helped recomplete the story of the tortoise and the hare which uh, another feature of your Lost Movies book John. So, so there's, a, there's a lot to delve into there and uh, we hope that in one way or another you'll be able to experience the exhibition and uh, enjoy Ray's incredible legacy. Excellent, well that just leaves me to say thank you very much Connor. Uh, thank you for everyone who took part in the poll and uh, do keep watching the films and we hope to see you up at the exhibition. And for those lucky winners of the book, please leave a review online when you've received it, but only if it's a five-star one. Right, thanks very much, everyone. We'll see you next time. Take care. Bye-bye. Cheers. Goodbye. Copyright in the Ray Harryhausen podcast is owned by the Ray and Diana Harryhausen Foundation, a registered Scottish charity, number SC001419, 2021. This recording may not be reproduced in whole or in part without written permission from the Foundation. The views expressed within these podcasts do not necessarily reflect those of the Foundation, its trustees or employees. For further terms and conditions, please contact us at rayharryhausen.com, where you can find our Facebook, Instagram and Twitter links.